tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Platinum Pilfer, Update, Orphan Train, Marfa Ghost Lights, The Greeting Card Killer, and Trying to Score Some Caruana. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Um, Robbie, what's good with you this week? What's going on? Uh, uh, do you want me to recount the entire yeah, San maybe, Francisco? Maybe like, well, you know, shorter, a shorter version of it. Okay, I went down to San Francisco for a Civil War living history event at Fort Point underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, a guy jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, we went into town, ate at a Thai place. Uh, the Edwardian Ball in San Francisco was going on. Oh, and a woman who might have been a prostitute, I'm not sure, um, uh, harassed us. Maybe we should get into our... What are we doing? Is this a podcast? Yeah, yeah. Okay. About a, the show Unsolved Mysteries. Okay. Uh, th- I think this is the first one we've recorded since that that real um, letdown of an episode where... Yeah, it was really boring. It's just a bunch of fraud, right? Yeah, it was... Well, it was garbage. I mean, the people listening to this will have, will have now found how much garbage it was. But I'm really excited about this episode. Um, yeah, I thought there was a good. lot of mystery, intrigue. Um, so it opens with a missing persons case uh, mm-hmm. on September 12, 1987 in Bradford, Pennsylvania. A man named Dale Kurtstetter sounds right to me okay um he was either the security guard or something at the corning plant it it, it was like he was an employee that they gave the job of being a security guard to even though he was probably not being paid as the security guard yeah it was very strange i really didn't understand what dale's role was or why he would have been in the corning plant seemingly by himself Um, I guess he was the night watchman. Night gathers and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. For the... Basically, yeah. Well, guess what happens, Robbie? Somebody steals (gasps) a quarter of a million dollars worth of platinum pipe. Wow. And we get a cutaway to stack in a dirty factory. (laughs) (laughs) I Do you think know. this was an authentic, dirty factory? It looked more like like a facility's boiler room to me. It looked like <laughs> a basement. It didn't really look like a factory. It looked real dank, though. Yeah. Um. So, you know, but Stack is very generous. He'll do anything for the show. So and there he is in the basement. Uh. So then we get... So, so, so Dale disappears. Okay? So the pipe disappears. Dale disappears. And, um... We get a cutaway to Dale's mother. Uh, she's being interviewed. And to me, she looked a lot like the actor Chris Cooper. Um, from... Interesting. Do you know who that is? <laughs> he yeah. Was, he was the like closeted gay neighbor in American Beauty. American Beauty. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just what I thought Dale's mom looked like. Anyway, <laughs> apropos of nothing. <laughs> that, 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 no, that's fine because I, I have another celebrity lookalike later on that I'm going to tell you about. (laughs) Excellent. Well, I'm also presuming Dale's mother, who was elderly when the show was filmed, is probably long dead, so I'm not worried about um, offending her. Anyway. uh, So, then the next interview is with Dale's boss, I guess? His manager? Yeah. Um, There's a lot of ambiguous titles and positions. Yeah, maybe maybe it's just like everyone draws a job out of a hat each week. (laughs) Every day. Oh, every day. God, that's confusing. Um, I don't know how they're running their corning factory, but anyway. So Dale's boss is interviewed, 
and he says that Dale had been a quote marginal marginal empl- employee. <laughs> but then goes on to tell this heroic story about Dale who saw a forklift somehow be driven or uh, rolls into this river of molten glass that's being mm-hmm. poured somewhere in the factory. And the glass is getting very close to the propane tank that's on the, the forklift. So Dale was able, in order to prevent an explosion, Dale was able to get the drive the forklift that was partially covered in molten glass away from from the threat. So I don't... I mean, I don't know about you, Robbie, but are you running into mol- a river of molten glass to save the factory, given the choice? I, I gotta tell you, out of the things I'm afraid of, the idea of, like, molten anything uh-huh. is, is probably one of my greatest fears. What? It's it's why I, I will not go anywhere near anything that's vaguely volcanic. Um, I have a lot of fart jokes, but I'll keep them all to myself. <laughs> <laughs> good uh we gotta <laughs> save those for later um okay. yeah uh now well the thing is is like apparently he 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 saved like over the course of his time there he, he saved the lives of half a dozen employees yeah i wouldn't call this person marginal at all well here's what i what i gather because the thing is is even though he did save employees lives mm-hmm. apparently he was a really slow worker with other unspecified problems and so that led me to the conjecture that having you know reached the point where he saved six different co-workers uh he probably figured by that point he was kind of okay with just coasting mm-hmm. it's like they're not gonna fire me so you know he's just sort of he's, he's just mailing it in after that point well and you know that's his prerogative to do that you know? yeah they're not going to, I mean, he kind of sounds like, um, like he might be hard to work with, but he's got a, you know, a good sense of like responsibility and integrity. So yeah, I'm only mentioning this because they sort because... of disparage Dale later in the segment. <laughs> um, can, but can we go back to your fear of molten things for a yeah. second? Yeah. Gosh, you know, like, um, Lava, mm-hmm. just uh, that stuff creeps me out. Uh, the idea of like falling in it is just terrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might be a reason why I've only watched Return of the King once. Um, mm. Yeah, just stuff with volcanoes. Just I, I can't do it. I mean, I used to have this before I really under when I was before I was older and I actually understood how the Earth really is because mm-hmm. you know the, you know we got the the crust and then the mantle and it just you know it it, it it goes in stages till we reach the 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 core of the planet but when i was really young i had this image that basically the earth was composed of just like the surface plates mm-hmm. on top of a on top of just like a giant ball of lava mm-hmm. and i have these horrific visions of like just the various plates of the earth just cracking and sinking into the lava, leaving behind a, a planet that's just entirely composed of lava. Entire lava surface of, of a planet. That seems totally the- reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let, let me, so, yeah, with, with those images in my head, I, I, I think you can understand why lava just yeah. creeps me out. And then, so, you know, malt melted metal liquid uh-huh. you know stuff like that that that's also pretty creepy mm-hmm. so you can bet that if i'm in a situation where someone's life is on the line and involves going through like mal- melted glass melted glass or whatever to get to a forklift um i'll, I'll be giving emotional support to whoever does that yeah no i'm not getting involved I mean, I'm not getting involved with anything ever, but especially not that. Um, yeah. What about molten lava chocolate cake? Uh, that's more of a gray area. Okay. Because it is really delicious. And... But it can burn your tongue if you get into it too quick. Oh, I've never, I've never had malted lava cake um, when it was hot. 
it's always just been, you know, someone's brought it to a party and it's either store bought or cold or whatever. Um, is that a thing? Have you had it? Had malt? Yeah, like in a restaurant or something. Usually they put like whipped cream or vanilla ice cream with it, but I've had it when it's right out of the oven and it's like piping and I burn my mouth on it. I don't like burning my mouth either. Mm. I'm pretty sure I'm going to burn my mouth on the pizza I'm going to eat later tonight. <sighs> what kind of pizza are you going to get? Uh, something really cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not very specific. My, yeah, well, my, my one of my standard go-tos is to, like, make two of those Totino party pizzas mm-hmm. and then, like, cut four lines across and four up on them to make Mm -hmm. lots of little pieces. Mm -hmm. And then I, once I've done that with both pizzas, I pick them, I I pick up the cutting board Mm -hmm. because I don't actually even bother to, um, put them on a plate. Mm -hmm. Uh, And often I, if, if I'm all alone in the house and there's no one to observe the shame, I'll just stand in the kitchen, just eating them before i even get that far but uh if if there are people about i will shamefully take take my cutting board into my own room and just shove them one after another Mm -hmm. and it's funny i mean these pizza these pizzas are just really small not in 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 unsubstantive but when you cut them into enough pieces like i mean at that point when you got four lines up and four across that's like 25 individual little Totino quarter sized <laughs> things. The, the, the sheer, the sheer, the, the amount of time it takes to shove one after another, after mm-hmm. another, after another, mm-hmm. um, is, is enough that like it, it, you have, you, you walk away with the sensation that you've just ate two gigantic pizzas. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, this almost, if it didn't involve Totino's freezer pizzas, this almost sounds like a good dieting trick. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Like, you know, uh, uh, cutting up, yeah, cutting up anything else, you know, anything and to small pieces. And the key is to just draw out the experience of eating. Mm. I guess um, I was looking for more like what flavor of pizza you are going to get. Oh. Well, I, do do Totino's pizzas even have flavors? I mean, they they, they say various <laughs> things, but they're it's really just the same meat product, right? I, I mean, what's the difference between pepperoni and combination? I don't know green peppers. There there, there are no green peppers on Totino's pizzas. They're all the same. Okay, I didn't know about Totino's pizzas. <laughs> Um, you know, speaking of, uh, of eating, um, back to the factory. Yeah. Uh, one of the clues in Dale's, uh, Dale's disappearance is that he had packed a full lunch and it was in his very nice, uh, workman's lunch box. <clears throat> and when the, uh, police came to investigate the next morning, they found that Dale's lunch was uneaten. He hadn't touched it. Yes. Not the banana, not the little sandwich. Yeah, he had the most generic lunch you could possibly name. A white bread sandwich, an apple, a banana, and a bag of... Did you have any idea what that bag was full of? No, I didn't rewind to... uh... That's... Maybe, maybe, maybe that's the real surprise where Dale likes to mix it up. Maybe it's like, uh, uh, you know, those munchies. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Or maybe flaming hot Cheetos. Or oh, so he has a variable baggy item. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I guess I guess that would be at least something to to keep his lunch from being a daily exercise in depressing regular mediocrity. Well, he's had the same sandwich for thirty years, but <laughs> he mixes it up with chips. Uh, so um, Dale hadn't. Re- so this happened, I guess, uh, Saturday evening. Dale hadn't reappeared. And the and the platinum pipe hadn't uh, re- re- reappeared by Sunday night, so 
Um, they bring in some dogs to come and do and try and find Dale's scent because what they thought might have happened was the factory was so large that Dale may have had a heart attack or stroke or something and his his he might be alive or dead or something somewhere in a nook and cranny of the factory. Yeah. So um, so they bring in the dogs. The dogs don't find his body, but they do find Dale's scent over by where the cage where the platinum pipe was kept. Mm-hmm. Um. So then they go to the security camera footage, and there's only... This was kind of shocking to me. There's only three cameras <laughs> in this entire for, giant for building. That, yeah, for a factory that they, they've, they've implied is basically the size of a small town. Yes, where they had to bring dogs in to find a body, there's only three cameras. Uh, but there's a very interesting reenactment that they do via the security camera, which I thought was super creepy. Um which shows a person in a ski mask coming into the factory, um, looking around. Um, they go right after where the the platinum was, presuming that this was somebody who was pretty familiar with the factory. Um, then when they're coming back around, Dale is now talking with the man in the mask. And then Dale looks right up at the camera, like makes eye contact with the camera. To make sure they got his face. And he looks down. And then they both walk out of the view of the camera. Um, The police find Dale's car. Uh, I believe he had the keys intact. There was a full carton of Marlboro Reds right there on. (laughs) This is also an important detail. (laughs) Right there on the front seat. He hadn't hadn't taken anything. So it looked like maybe he had been abducted. Um, So then some... I don't know if this was a policeman or someone who worked for the factory, but it's not the guy that said Dale was a uh, marginal oh, employee. Yeah, no, uh, I think you're thinking about Patrick Foley, the former personnel manager at the plant. Yeah, I mean, and, <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't want to like sidetrack you too badly from yeah. what you're about to talk about him, but I just have to ask. Yes, because when I saw him, I immediately thought that this was. To me, he looks exactly like the guy who plays Goad Leader in Star Wars. <laughs> Which I'm sure is, you know, I'm not nod- even the top 10,000 things you're expecting me to say. Um, I'm nodding my head. Yeah. But I don't remember who that is. I'll post a picture on our Twitter. <laughs> okay. <right now. laughs> um. So this so this guy goes on to say that within the same breath basically that Dale was too dumb to have pulled this off. <laughs> but that he was also like smart enough to know how to how to like disappear basically. Right. And it's... what? <laughs> Yeah, he simultaneously gives Dale too much credit and then not enough credit. Yeah, it was it was it was real dickish because <laughs> I mean, at this point, okay, so this crime took place in 1987. They're being inter- interviewed presumably a couple years later. Yeah. And so they know Dale never showed back up. He never called right. his family. They know that. Why would you say that? I don't understand. Uh, so I guess right before this crime was committed, this heist, this platinum heist, uh, Dale had been cut out of his work at the shop, basically had been demoted for mm-hmm. less pay. So they didn't they didn't fire him. They just gave him a different job, I guess, as the night watchman and demoted him. Um, yeah. I guess he had some debt that came to light, but his daughter he had several children several grown children and his daughter who was interviewed said you know he knows he could have asked me if he needed help with money he had money in like a 401k he could have cashed out so it wasn't like he was destitute Um, okay yeah there there are some of his kids that are giving perfectly valid uh, explanations like that but then i feel like others are on the opposite end of the spectrum that basically they're like I mean, we've encountered a lot of parents that are in total denial about their kids so far in watching mm-hmm. this show. But Definitely. there's like one, yeah, there's one daughter who she gives the re- reason like, why, you know, 
if he was going to do this robbery, why would he have taken his lunch? Why would he be left behind that carton of cigarettes? Yeah. Dad always has the smokes. That's what she said. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, which, I mean, yes, someone who's legitimately kidnapped would be doing these things. But then someone who would be faking a kidnapping might also do these things, too. (laughs) But listen, Robbie. Yeah. Dad always takes his smokes. (laughs) So, I mean, maybe he doesn't take the lunch, but he takes his smokes. Um, there, yeah, and then there was another son. His son said that he thought um, that maybe his dad had done the robbery and then had gone up to Canada or Australia and was waiting. <laughs> I don't know why those were the two options. Canada or Australia. And so he was waiting for the statute of limitations to come up and then he would come back to the States to try and contact his family. Um, yeah. So... I, I, Robbie, unless I'm wrong, that was kind of the end of the segment. Yeah. Um, but we, we do get an update from Robert Stack. It's not one of these tacked on ones. We get an update that the cor- that Corning has sold the factory. <laughs> uh, they sold the Bradford facility um, and uh, to another company. And that company does no, uh, no, in case you were thinking about it, <laughs> that company no longer uses platinum in its pipes. And that's the update we that's- get. That's also something I noted very much. Uh, <laughs> like, I mean, you know, and I'm sure, like, to me, that feels like a lie. That's just the company saying oh, yeah, that because totally they don't bullshit. want another quarter million dollars worth yeah, of platinum being ripped pipes. off. Yeah, because the thing is, is if you didn't really know anything about that plant, they, they've just now informed an entire country worth of people that there's 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 a, a large plant with one person who's not actually a security guard watching it at night with three cameras and a quarter million dollars worth of a, a, a rare metal yeah uh yeah th- th- that was that stuck out to me too i also liked i think it was was it his mother um <clears throat> you know when they're talking to all the family he uh, on the question uh, question of whether you know he did it or not um, the mother you know she doesn't think so but she gets in the speculative uh, point where she's like you know like you know well if he did I, I think her exact words were if he was involved in any of this he's out of his mind <laughs> and it's like the most the way she said it was the most, you know, scorning, um, uh, just, you know, no, 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 no holds barred, uh, just airing of what she thought. And I, I can't help but think that she has taken that tone with him many times over the years. <laughs> I, I think a case can obviously be made one way or another. On the one hand, yes, he was demoted at his workplace. Um, there's debt, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But on the other hand, this is a guy who apparently has risked his life to save others. Yeah. So typically, people who are like that, yeah, at, at least might uh, would be more introspective and contemplative about these sort of actions. I. I don't know. I, I think the fact that he didn't return like his son predicted mm-hmm. after the stat, statue of limitations. I don't know what the statue of limitations is for stealing a quarter million dollars worth of platinum from a factory is. Uh, let's say four years. Okay. He has not come back. And it's no. been it's been several decades. Yeah. So I'm I this, I'm, I'm, this I'm, may have mm. if I had to wager money, I would mm. say I, w- I would throw my bet down that this was a legitimate robbery and he was he was kidnapped and presumably killed. Yeah, which I, I think they could have presumed when they were filming the segment. So that's why I was so confused about the people who worked at the factory being so shitty about him. <laughs> and still and still casting dispersions because it's this, none of this added up to what I thought 
I think he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Of when, March. When probably oh. a, a former employee or something decided to knock over the place for the platinum pipe because they knew it was there. Yeah. So, yeah. so no collusion is what I'm saying. All right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what did you think of this segment? I uh, I thought it was interesting enough. It it is interesting, and and I think it sets the tone for a couple of the other segments in this episode, which is it's kind of kind of leaves you a little hungry, a little unsatisfied, because it's a true yeah. mystery that that didn't get solved. the next segment which is a update from a previous episode but now updates as we've mentioned in uh other times are now a, an official segment <laughs> that, yes. that happened so this is that's the thing yeah so this is an update i assume on a lost love segment from season one um called the orphan train And this is the most depressing shit I've ever heard in my entire life, pretty much. I guess um, millennials count your blessings because if you've been born between 1854 and sometime in the 1920s in New York City and your family was too poor to take care of you, you were just released to the streets and there were just orphans walking around New York City. Um, they get scooped up by social workers and then put on a train to the Midwest and the train makes various stops throughout America's heartland where families who are eager to have a child of their own and open their homes come and pick out a kid from the train. And uh, so we get updates from two of these orphans. Um, well, we really only get updates. <laughs> God, this is depressing. So, <laughs> so Sylvia um, was looking for her long lost brother that she was separated from when she was put on the train. She was looking for him for over 50 years. And, and obviously some the people in, involved in the segment are quite elderly. And so I thought that was really incredible that Unsolved Mysteries is actually able to reunite her um, with her long lost brother of 50 years. Uh, so that was nice, that part. Um, yes. But the part that's not so nice is there was another guy, Francis Murphy, Whose mother, um, whose mother was too too poor to take care of him, and she put him on the train. And at the time, Francis didn't—he wasn't upset about going. He was a little boy, and all he'd ever known was New York City, and so he'd heard all these stories about going out west and cowboys and Indians. And um, I mean, it was—it really was a—it was a real five old goes west situation. <laughs> Oh man! And... Well, yeah. Well, what's so funny about that is I, I just couldn't help but chuckle because they're taking him out to the Midwest. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this is, this is, and like, like you said, he's thinking about cowboys and Indians, right. but there are he's no going cowboys to, like, in Illinois. Indians. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he's going to Illinois in like 1925. So, but, but I, I guess if you grow up in New York City, Floyd, this ain't pace. Well, so good. Pace is made in San Antonio by folks who know what pecani sauce should taste like. Hey, this stuff's made in New York City. New, New York, York City! Anything like west of Pittsburgh is probably presumed to be, um, the, you know, the, the, the Wild West, right? Yeah, well, I assume most people that have probably grown up east of the Mississippi, their sense of distance is also quite skewed compared to people yes. like us that grew up actually grew up out in the west where like you know major there's a hundred miles between each major town it isn't just going over to the next township which is five miles away like yeah. there's big expanses between places um but the, i think that's what francis was envisioning um i think he just went to ohio or something yeah. Um, so he's, he's going down the, you know, he's on the train and then he's on there with all the kids and they're having this grand adventure and uh, stop after stop, the train gets a little more empty. And I guess they get to the end of the line, which I don't know where that is. 
Um, and they were like, sorry, Francis, nobody wants you. <laughs> and then we get, we get a reenactment of a real sad, dirty kid looking out the back of a train. And so... as the train pulls away, it is mm. so heartbreaking. Yeah, this is not, this isn't a fun segment. Um, so Francis didn't get picked by any family. He spent the rest of his childhood in and out of, uh, foster homes. Um, but Unsolved Mysteries and Robert Stack are very quick to reassure us. He had a very good life. He met the love of his life and they had five children and six grandchildren. And then you're like, yay, maybe he can be reunited, but go fuck yourself because he dies uh, within a few weeks of having filmed the segment. So by the time that there could have been an update or somebody wanted to be in contact with Francis, they couldn't have been. Uh, I guess he had a sister out there um so his so francis's surviving family members are still on the hunt to try and reconnect that part of his biological family um but this segment sucks so that's the end that's what you get yeah uh well i won't make you dwell on it any longer than you have to i will say um it's we're getting it seems like this season there's a lot of period pieces Mm -hmm. (laughs) happening Though, 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 wait, this was a season one episode, but um, I I don't, I'm not really into early 1900s clothes so much, so I'm not in a position to really make commentary as to the accuracy of their historical costumes, Mm -hmm. but they didn't look too bad. I I mean, maybe I'll tag some of my um, more costume-minded friends on Facebook and as a way to trick them into listening to the podcast, ask for their opinion mm-hmm. on, on the matter. Um, That's a good tactic. So, yes, yes. Uh, but yeah, it was... Um, the, 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 the costumes were basically the main thing that was interesting to me. I'm not... Again, I'm not really a, a Lost Loves mm-hmm. sort of person. I mean, I, I, I'm glad when they get reunited, but I, I want... I want my ghosts and and UFOs, damn it. (laughs) Guys, did you hear what happened? Was it a murder? Was it a monster? Looks like we've got another mystery on our hands. Well, looks like it's time to fire up the pod, boys. At the Brothers Commonplace, we cover murders, monsters, mysteries, and more. If you're a fan of crime with some dark humor mixed in, then definitely check us out. It would be a crime not to listen to The Brothers Commonplace. Come on down to The Brothers Commonplace tonight. Well, let's cut the shit. Let's get to it then. Yeah, yeah. Because our next segment has... Has mysteries through time and many costumes and vehicles yeah yeah we got we got two period piece segments in one episode yeah yeah this this one takes us out to what is it marfa texas Mm -hmm. and we we immediately start with a reenactment involving some cowboys I, i believe they're supposed to be late 1800s cowboys um, and they make reference to there, there's a fire uh, or a light off in the distance, and they presume that it might be a fire that belongs to some Apaches, possibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, I don't know about you, but I thought the way they filmed this opening was like with the back orange sky background was actually kind of beautiful. Yeah, well, it was. I mean, it really it made me want to go visit immediately this part of the yeah. world. Yeah. Marfa, by yeah. the way, is in uh, southwest Texas, very close to the Mexican border. I looked oh, it up. So there you go. <laughs> oh. oh, good, good. I, 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 didn't do, I didn't do the geography check on this. I usually only do geography uh, checks for uh, any satanic-related mm-hmm. segments because mm-hmm. I have to update the satanic panic map. Mm-hmm. Do you want to start keeping a map of, like, uh, like magic rock weird lights or is that you too mean much like work? just the odd well it, are you thinking just the oddball unexplained stuff yeah. that's neither ghosts nor ufos yeah i could try to do that um it'll, it'll probably be a while before i well what have we had so far we've had like you say the magic rock mm-hmm. the 
we have what is uh, in this segment going to be revealed to be ghost lights. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Have we have we had any big feet yet, or did I just? Has there been any no. yeti? Yeah, we. We spent we, we we introduced big big feet into oh, yes. our, our DB Cooper. Oh, that's uh, right. That wasn't actually a Bigfoot segment. Okay. Um, <laughs> we just well, you could put the uh, you could put the crying or the eyes closed. Oh, crucifix from Pennsylvania. The, the, the crucifix whose eyes aren't closed, but everyone thought they were. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay, and I think that's it. Okay. Well, for now. Yeah. Okay. So look forward to that map, viewers. Yes, yes. Uh, I'll just I'll have to find like a different map of the United States that doesn't have a yellow back, um, yellow color scheme to the states, mm-hmm. because then it'll get too confusing. I'm sure. Um, anyway, go uh, lights. So Camera. these the the <laughs> these cowboys they see some lights off in the distance. And we get some recounting of other periods of the past moving ahead to the early 1900s when some people in period costumes get out of a car, an old-timey car. Uh, I don't know anything about cars. I would say I would describe it as a poor man's Model T. It wasn't quite a a Model T. Okay. It was like if you'd taken a wooden outhouse and put it on a chassis with some big old wheels, that's what the car looked like. Yeah, yeah, it was a car of that period. They get out, they see these these lights off in the distance, um, and they're they're off in the nearby mountain ranges. Uh, and they the thing about these lights is they kind of move around in a strange manner. It, it's it's not stationary, mm-hmm. and it's not their movements are not necessarily what you'd expect from say an automobile. Mm-hmm. Travel just traveling along a road, they kind of oscillate and go up and down. Mm-hmm. And I mean, these lights were have been sighted by like during World War II. Uh, the air there's a nearby air base, and there there is no reason there should be any lights out at all because there, you know, there there's no lights being lit at night. Uh, I, I guess I, the reasoning was, I think, fuel rationing during the war. Fuel rationing, yeah, yeah all that jazz. Uh, the requirements of the war, and these guys, uh, out, these servicemen out at the field, see some lights uh, appear and move around in, in the in the same pattern, and they they talk with the people, townspeople, and the townspeople, you know, sort of have this knowing. Uh, response like oh well those are yeah of course we've got lights dummies <laughs> well um, they're very the the townspeople are very specific to say that they are not scientists and and those are just some ghost lights <laughs> yeah um it's uh it's actually i i kind of i kind of get why the people in the town they don't want this mystery solved because for them it's it's kind of just this charming thing that their town has mm-hmm. and you know, they don't care, you know, whether it's, you know, people running around with torches or the ghost of some Apache Indian who's refusing to give up his home mm-hmm. or whatever. It's just, you know, it's, it's, some, it's just a novelty that their, their town has and they, they enjoy it. Um, but unsolved mysteries just can't leave well enough alone. And they no. bring in, I, I, like a chemistry professor, an astronomer, and a geologist, along with a bunch of other sciencey people. Yeah, there might have been a psychic there too, because it's unsolved mysteries. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm actually surprised they didn't bring a uh, that they didn't introduce a psychic uh, to who to talk about what they're sensing. But yeah, basically we are given a bunch of examples of them trying to discern what these lights are. They set, they do a test, they set up some reference lights and we get a, we get another one of these big budget season two images where they, they, they have this image of, you know, a uh, sort of it, not a picture, but a, a draw, I guess a drawing computer 
rendering of a mm-hmm. mountainside. Yeah. And they show where the reference lights are and where there's the nearest road. And they, you get an idea that like, okay, these ghost lights are just appearing out of nowhere, uh, right in between these reference points that would, would be able to tell them if there was any automobiles coming by. So, uh, we're left with, uh, just say a really neat, uh, unexplained phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Or as Stan calls it, a touch of magic. Oh, did it? Does he use that oh, expression? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, did, I didn't write that down. He said, for this little town, it's just a touch of magic. Touch of magic. Ha. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, what I went and looked this up because I thought clearly since you know 1990 or whenever the show was aired, clearly they've they've gotten to the bottom of the Marfa lights. And I was uh, intrigued and disappointed because there's a lot of theories floating around, but no one has been able to, without a doubt, explain what's causing this. It's actually a, a phenomenon that you can go, there's a sign off the highway, it says um, Mystery Lights or Marfa Lights Viewing Area, which will give you the best views you can pull off. It's about eight oh. miles uh, outside of Marfa. If you're ever visiting, you can go see if you can catch the lights. So I, I have no explanation for this. I was thinking maybe it was like a will of the wisp situation or uh, reflected lights from the highway, which are both likely, but no one's been able to say what exactly is going on. So it's a true mystery. I think maybe they need to get that psychic out there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, you know, unsolved mysteries gave us uh, through night vision cameras, a very clear view of these lights and, and they, they certainly, um, they're there. No one's making it up. It's been verified that this is a phenomenon you can go see. Uh, I, I think, you know, the world offers so little magic and mystery. And this seems to, to be a sort of harmless, fun, cool thing that is down in Texas. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, compared to some of the other bullshitty, you know, segments we've had on this show. Um, This one, it's a mystery. Uh, No one's getting hurt. No one's making ridiculous claims. Like you say, it's just, it's just a fun little thing that the the people of the sound have that uh, this, this segment was actually, I found it pretty charming in a way. Yeah. I, so you liked it then. That's what I was about to ask you. I liked it a lot. yeah, it, we, 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 we traveled, like, across four different time periods. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm not I'm not really a 1900s clothing expert, and I don't really know too much about cowboy clothing. So, um, for all you uh, historical clothing people I know, uh, you're going to get tagged on Facebook really <laughs> soon. I'll have them weigh in. Yes. Uh, back, you know, in like six months when this episode drops. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's about In case right. our, our case our listeners uh, uh, didn't know, we do record these episodes in advance. Yeah, so. pretty, pretty far in advance, too, from, from when I'm slowly just, I'm like, but I'm like dropping like diamonds. You know, you can't be doing this every week. You have to meet it out or else people won't realize the value of our podcast. <laughs> Or some bullshit. Anyway, do we want to talk about the next uh, segment, which is back to being a total uh, bummer? Uh, I'll make it good, though. I'll make it good. Okay. So, uh, November 18th, 1987, uh, two teenagers uh, named Tanya and Jay, they're they're, uh, romantically involved. Um, They decided to take a little trip from Victoria British Columbia, Canada, to Seattle, Washington for the weekend. Um, There, immediately, we see Tanya and Jay. They're on a Washington State ferry. I spent my middle school and high school years living on an island in Washington State, so this really hit home for me. I'm I'm deeply familiar with the ferry scene. Is is this nearby? 
ish um no they take they take mm, fairies which are pretty far away from where i lived but the but the the look and feel of a washington state fairy can cannot be mistaken for anything else okay i know for sure the producers of this show went and got on the ferry and they filmed this oh Um, wow yeah no i mean it's up even up to the weird abstract art that's in the background and the tan pleather seats it's really <laughs> just made me nostalgic for like 1990s washington state fairies um so the first fairy that uh they t- sorry there's a lot of weird comical beeping going on outside my apartment <laughs> i got distracted uh anyway so tanya and jay they get on the first ferry from uh, victoria british columbia to port angeles washington state they drive uh, down, and I'm I know this because we get another cool graphic map. Uh, I I was I, if you didn't mention it, I was going to because they they are splashing these graphic mm-hmm. maps all over the place this season. No expense was spared. Uh, so Tanya and Jay they they get off in Port Angeles, which means they have to drive down the Olympic Peninsula and then drive up the Kitsap Peninsula to catch the ferry from Bremerton to Seattle. So they're crossing two bodies of water, and that's quite a drive, also, um, that they're doing for a little weekend getaway. But you know, it's their prerogative. Um, so they interview both sets of parents. Um, both agreed that Tanya and Jay were a really great couple. They both sets of parents seem to think that the other parents' kid is pretty great too. Uh, so there doesn't seem to be any like reason, any sort of suspicion being cast uh, on these kids that they, they somehow incited the trouble that they got into. Um, so Tanya's dad became worried because Tanya Sunday night uh, didn't come home and she didn't call saying she was going to be late. And he admitted, you know, Tanya was often late for curfew and things like that. But she always called. And so he thought that was very strange um, that Tanya never called home. And apparently Jay's parents didn't hear anything either. Um, A couple of days later, police find Tanya's body. And she had been uh, bound with plastic ties. I don't have to get into the nitty gritty of this, but she was dead. Um, mm-hmm. and so they, they hadn't found Jay's van that they went to Washington, um, with, and they also didn't find Jay. So for a couple of days, there was some suspicion that maybe Jay had, had committed this crime. And I, I can only imagine from the parents end thinking, you know, your daughter's with this great guy and, and she was safe to go for the weekend. He turned out to be, you know, a murderer. And similarly, you know, the Jay's parents thinking, Oh my God, what has our son done? You know? Um, but, uh, all is well because they find his body on Thanksgiving. Uh, or rather all is just, well, everything's fine. This is terrible. (laughs) These are kids that were brutally murdered. Um, so they find the same plastic ties by Jay's body. They find his van, in Bellingham the next day, which is about 90 miles away from uh, where Jay's body was found. Um, Two blocks away from the van, the police find more evidence, including discarded latex gloves. Uh, They find that the, um, they find that the van has been totally wiped of prints. Um, The police were very, and I think wisely so, very cautious to give out more information than they thought totally necessary. Mm-hmm. Probably because they didn't want someone coming forward who did it, but also who didn't do it because they would have details only the murderer would have. Um, right. But also probably because they didn't want a copycat killer, I'm assuming. <laughs> like, oh, this is how you get on Unsolved Mysteries. So I, I think the police, you know, they're 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 keeping it pretty close to the vest with this um but they did mention that the manner in which jay was murdered looked like something that would happen in prison i mean he was obviously shanked i mean i don't know what how else to take that but um so they were thinking it was an ex-con who who may have done this um they narrowed down the window to when the killer must have met jay and tanya and they think it was on the ferry from Bremerton to Seattle 
that the killer must have picked them as easy marks, asked for possibly in the reenactment, this is what they're doing. The killer asked for a ride um, from the. I'll tell you, like, when in the reenactment, mm-hmm. when the killer gets up, well, I, first of all, it's interesting how they film it because they don't show the killer's face head on directly, mm-hmm. which I guess is obviously since they have no idea what this killer looks like. Right. So, you know, you just get back of the head shots or a vague facial reflection in a mirror. But the way the killer stands up and walks over to the other side of the ferry where this couple is, it's the most sinister, casual walk I've ever seen, ever. Just this, this, you know, he gets up and he's just, it's just this, 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 he's totally at ease with what he's doing. And yeah. He's almost like lethargic about it. Mm. But at the same time, there's absolute menace. Yeah. This this segment is real creepy. It's it's really, really creepy. Um, so, so what the police assume happened is that the killer somehow got his way into their van, maybe under a ruse of saying, you know, I only live a couple of blocks from... The ferry dock, maybe he could give me a ride there. Uh, he got in the van somehow um, and then just started causing chaos. Uh, so fast forward to about a month after the murder. So that they took place around Thanksgiving and now um, it's about Christmas time. And both of the families got these cards in the mail, their holiday cards, um, taunting them with details of the murder. Um, and the way that these cards are written, there's a very, there's a very distinctive handwriting style. Think of like an internet commoner using lowercase and uppercase letters and all kinds of ones and slashes. It's kind of that, that's that style of just like angry insanity. And Mm -hmm. there are particular phrases that were, and oh, oh yeah, the families keep getting these cards and they've been posted. yeah. Not up to 19 cards received up to the airing of this program. Yes. So they're being, and they're postmarked from Los Angeles or Denver or wherever. Um, but there's phrases on them like hallelujah, bloody Jesus that get used a lot. Um, so, hey, Robbie, would you like an update? Would you like justice to be served for Jay and Tanya? I would like nothing more. Than for that to happen, but I distinctly recall not seeing any no, updates. No, too fucking bad. No fact, update on this. Yeah, I I wasn't expecting there to be an update either because they really didn't have much info to go on. When the clue that Robert Stack is providing the audience is that Jay had a black jacket with red piping. So if you see a black black jacket with red yeah. piping, let it. That might be the killer. Um, uh, that's that's not much to go on. Yeah, this is one of those cases. Every once in a while, we'll talk about a murder and where there's no update. Um, and I'll go look it up, thinking enough time has passed. Maybe there's a lead. And this is one of those ones where, as far as I could find, there was nothing. These police have no leads. They have nothing. And and also, you know, we have the first segment that we talked about with um, Dale. And, and one of the things that's occurred to me recently, um, having watched enough Unsolved Mysteries, but also, uh, you know, checking, like, the there's cer- certain internet websites where they keep a running log of missing persons and things like that. It is incredibly easy to get away with murder like like shockingly so because it's something like only one in ten and if i'm the statistic is wrong please somebody correct me one in ten uh murders end in an arrest so not even a conviction but an arrest is that that that's really yeah no it's like uh super low (laughs) Damn. So I'm just saying, listen, don't murder. Don't do it. Um, don't murder. Yeah. 
because and don't, <laughs> don't murder do us it. because you you'll probably never get caught. No, you you I'm saying don't murder but here's the thing, you might get away with it. And yeah. just if you're I think probably with um DNA evidence and stuff like that, it's probably a little more difficult, but in 1990, you know, that was an emerging technology as well. So if they had saved any evidence from the crime scene, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's really spooky uh, to think these two teenagers, they just went for a weekend trip and, and being the gregarious, friendly Canadians and polite people, I imagine that they were, who were they to refuse a stranger a ride? And that was the end of them. So, yeah, I, d- I didn't really like this segment very much. No, it's one of those ones that certainly keeps me up at night. Yeah, so we'll go to a cheerier topic, which is uh, drug kingpins. Yeah. Um, we we start our next segment with a, a reenactment of a combined raid by the FBI, DEA, and U.S. Marshals. Okay, so I thought I was getting it wrong, so I kept scribbling out like DEA or FBI, and then it was, <laughs> I ended on U.S. Marshals, question mark, because I was very confused as to... So it was all three was, of them. It was like a joint... Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, like late, late, later on in the, the segment, they make reference that there's actually a special task force that's put together uh, in conjunction with all these different agencies. And they are trying to um, apprehend a guy by the name of Salvatore Michael Caruana. Caruana. Rhymes with iguana. Uh, rhymes with marijuana, which is important which for later. Which he was involved in a lot. Yes. Because we get this depiction of a um, of a drug smuggling operation that that looks like it's being you know run in a uh, rent by the hour warehouse, and. The reenactor goes up to a large, was it burlap sack, cuts it open, and there's just a huge wad of ground up marijuana in it. Yeah, I mean it's real shitty weed. It, does it does it look shitty? It looks it looks like shitty weed. But like, <laughs> I mean, is Unsolved Mysteries gonna use weed as a prop? So it's probably just like a bunch of like. Oregano, oregano but... and grass that they stuffed in a bag. So. Yeah, and yeah, no this this I this reenactment of like him examining the marijuana product. I loved it. It just looked like something out of a, a low budget Cameron Mitchell style cop movie from the eighties. Well, you're real good, Max. You know I can see you weren't born yesterday because nobody could get that fucking stupid in twenty four hours. Definitely. Uh, yeah. This. Yeah. This. The Salvatore guy. He's. He's really involved with uh, all these drug operations. Um. He gets like. I didn't really pay too close attention. He gets like apprehended and he cooperates a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but then he also. But he also uh, subsequently disappears, which is why they're trying to find him now. Yeah. He was. Um. He got arrested. That's reenacted. He was let out on bail. He paid the bail. Then he disappeared. And then they got some intelligence that he was um, holed up in some condo in Connecticut. And so they went to bust him. I mean, he was moving around a lot. So they were following him from place to place to place. And when they got to the condo in Connecticut, um, the, the, the triple team operation... Uh, busts in and they find a bunch of stuff that I mean what they said is it looked like he had just left that Caruana just left but it clearly had been a couple of days because there was like food rotting and stuff but it looked like he had definitely left in a hurry so um, uh, so they're a little confused as to whether or not he just disappeared himself or if it was a mob hit because he was pretty involved with organized crime and you know, the New England mob circuit. Um, 
but yeah, I, 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 oh yes, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I like at the very end of this segment, Robert Stack adds that uh, the authorities hope they get to him before the mob does. <laughs> he says it in like a really urgent, um, emphasizing tone. Yeah, uh, there's yeah. there were a couple of facts they threw out about Caruana that I thought was thought were pretty interesting. Um, he used computers. <laughs> yes, ninety. Remember that. As, to quote, to quote one of the people they interview, he was really into, quote, all the new things that are coming out, end quote. Yeah, so... Uh, I don't know if that was Stack who said that, but yeah, he was into computer technology. Yeah, he, then... had a PC, he had a PC or something, and he was on these things called bulletin board systems. A computer he... bulletin board system. Mm-hmm. Think about that, Crystal. Think about that. He would get on his computer... And write something. Mm-hmm. And his wife, who's not even in the room, no. who's not even in the house, yeah, somewhere else, gets on her computer mm-hmm. and she can read it. Yeah. Can you? Can you even fathom no, that? No, I mean, I, I, I mean, it's kind of silly. It kind of seems like that technology was. I mean, people want to talk to each other. Why would you do that? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. m- moving on. Uh, so well, I, also, I, I just want to also make note that it was interesting that uh, he had his pistol right next to his keyboard. <laughs> you know, as as all of us do. Definitely. Um, I know that instead of leaving angry internet comments, I just shoot at computers. That's what I do <laughs> when I get really upset. So obviously, I've been through like a lot of computers in the last year. Uh, anyway, what? So the other thing about Caruana, <laughs> marijuana, Caruana, is that he uh, had a camera case that he had him on himself at all times, which was uh, allegedly carrying an Uzi that he had with I him all the time. I didn't catch that part. Yeah, That's that was. He always had this camera case, but there's a, allegedly like they never caught up with him to see what was in the camera case, but the rumor was it was an Uzi. Um. And then there's another, his his van also wiped of prints, shows up at a truck stop. There's a lot of vans in the show that had been wiped down. This is, again, van shows up. His, Caruana's van shows up at a truck stop. Uh, no body. So we don't really know what oh. happened to Caruana. We know he uses computers. We know that he was also a licensed pilot. Um, he was also very handsome. I'm just going to say it. He kind of sounded like the whole package, except for the part where he was like a hardened criminal. So, you, you know, what I found fascinating was at the end, they have a depiction of him getting dressed up and getting ready to leave that hotel room, mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, slip away and not be seen again. And the, the clothes they have him wearing I immediately thought that like it looked like he was about he was he was ditching the drug business to start uh, it on onto the career path of romancing women and then taking all their money, much like Con Con Juan. Con Juan yeah. Caruana, that's what they called him. Yeah. Yeah. Except that we saw Con Juan and well, well, yeah, yeah, I know. This, uh, <laughs> this is not this. Yeah, this is not the Con Juan, but it's, I, it's, I don't know. It, it, it kind of, he's wearing the similar clothes, so maybe, maybe he just changed career paths. I think probably in the eighties and early nineties, that was probably a perfectly legitimate career. I think now, um, <laughs> I think that that now is the equivalent is guys who are on Tinder that say their job is Uber. Like I feel like that's in the same. <laughs> Same con Juan Caruana genre. Um, I have talked so much shit about everyone and everything in this episode. There's a lot of shit to be talked about in this episode. Uh, there's been a lot of personal attacks (laughs) flying out of me for no reason. You can tell what kind of, I'm, I'm in a despondent mood and I'm taking it out on the world. Uh, but anyway, hey, you know, uh, we should probably wrap this up. But um, yeah. it would be if you like what we're doing and you want to say, hey, 
Um, our Twitter is at reenactedpod. We have an email address uh, where we have now begun receiving fan letters. So thank you. Yes. Thank um, you. That is reenactedpod at gmail.com. We also would love you forever if you wrote us a five-star review or four and a half. I mean, whatever. It's fine. Um, on iTunes, just recommending the show. So tell, you know, tell your, tell your Bible study group, tell your, uh, missing time therapy support group. (laughs) If you've enjoyed the podcast, um, go buy a Totino's pizza. And then when you're in line buying it, you should probably tell the checkout person also. Be sure to we and retweet all the tweets we send out. All of them. All of your, tell all of your friends to watch uh, or to rather to listen to the podcast and then also uh, sell all of your earthly possessions and invest <laughs> and in bitcoin money. oh sorry i thought we were <laughs> oh god no don't invest in don't bitcoin. do that I, I, no bitcoin. i think I, yeah i think we're i think we're past the po- point where that would be a, a viable um don't uh investment now because it. it's yeah but now that we're up to the point where it's however many tens of thousands of dollars it's just did one, i ever one ten thousand dollar did you ever what did I, did I ever mention how like this guy that went to unr tried to get me to invest in bitcoin mm, no yeah i kind of missed the boat on that one well and i missed the boat on microsoft because i was an infant so fucking what everyone lives <laughs> with regrets robbie Anyway, uh, you have so anything? keep listening to the podcast. Yes, don't buy follow us don't on buy social Bitcoin, media. But don't Tell buy everyone to, to to listen. Everyone. So I, I realize this is making it start to sound like we're less a podcast and more a cult, but mm, a little. <laughs> I mean, we're we're a cult of stackheads, of rompers. Yeah, yeah. we have our own terminology. Yeah, uh, we have a ha- we have a handshake. Um, we also have an outfit. So, Robbie, if you want to twit out a pic of that. I will. (laughs) And right after this recording stops and I ask you what the outfit is. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Hey, uh, do you want to do do the thing? Uh, yeah, I will totally do the thing. Okay. Tonight, we have seen four stories without endings. Four stories in which ordinary people have been thrust into the center of an unsolved mystery. Perhaps someone tonight can help them. Perhaps they were watching. Perhaps it's you.